John 3.16, for God so loved the world, that's you and I, that's every human that's ever lived, nobody is disqualified for, for this. God, if there's one thing about him, he is no respecter of persons. What he has done for one, he has provided for all. Amen? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Isn't that amazing? As you're sitting here today, if you have invited him in to your life to be your Lord, to be your Savior, you have residing on the inside of you the very life and essence of God. Isn't that amazing? Eternal life. That's why we say, death, where is your sting? But then you go to verse 17. It says God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Wow. Do you know that God is not condemning you today? Do you know that God is not condemning any human being today? The Bible says he is not accounting. The, the, the word in the Bible, it's imputing, but it's really an accounting term. He's not accounting a person's sins. In this age of grace, it started when Jesus came out of the tomb in about A.D. 32, about 1990 years ago, and what happened, the church was birthed, and now man's sin is not separating him from God anymore. It's not being imputed. God set it aside. The only thing now between man and God is Jesus. And now Jesus is saying, come. Come as you are. I've paid your debt. Your debt is paid in full. Come to me. I'll give you life. I was made to be sin with your sin so that you could be made the very righteousness of Almighty God in me. Isn't that amazing? Wow. It's so sad when a man will choose to live for themselves on this earth and say no to that. Because saying no to that will ensure that as they pass from this life, then all those sins that Jesus died for, that he paid for, they will literally have to be judged for because they chose to say no to God. But you know what? That's why we're here. Man, don't get caught up in the busyness of life. Length of days is in wisdom's right hand. You seek first the kingdom of God and you will get more done and you'll be more productive and you'll prosper more, but you'll also live a fulfilled life because you'll yield all of your fruit in your season. We are the light of the world. We're the body of Christ. And we're to show forth his praise. I love that. John chapter 15 and verse 16, it says, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. This is all about God pursuing man. Religion is all about man pursuing God. 
if I could just be good enough. Give yourself a break. You couldn't be good enough, right? That's why Christianity, it's a rest. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you because my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Why? Because he carries the heavy burden and his burden is freedom and victory and peace. First John chapter 4, I love this. For God so loved. In verse 9, it says this. In this was manifested the love of God towards us. How was it manifested? Because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Isn't that cool? That we might live through him. Verse 10 Herein is love. So now God, who does not have love, or does not just do love, the God who is love, he says this, herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. See, this is what the love of God is. It's not about how you have loved him. Do you know no one on this earth would have the ability to truly love God without a revelation and without him pursuing us. The only way that I could ever love God is because he first loved me. Wow. And it says this, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son, I love this, to be the propitiation. That's a big word in the King James that everybody goes, wow, what in the world is that? He sent him to be a propitiation for our sins. This word means he sent him. It's a real interesting word. It means he sent him to be literally an atoning sacrifice. See, but this word is interesting because it talks about, it's a Hebrew noun, and it talks about how that not only is he the sacrifice for sin, but he's also the high priest who oversees the sacrifice. Wow. What, what does that mean? Jesus not only paid for the removal of our sins, he also opened the door so that he could be our faithful high priest. Because, see, God, he's not just interested in you going, yes, getting saved and then live in bondage your whole life down on this earth, and then go to be with him. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that God is the God who would have all men to be saved, but also to come to the knowledge of the truth. Why? So that they can walk in the very quality of life that God has right now. Jesus is the high priest of our confession. What does that mean? As we confess the words, his words, if sickness attacks our body and we confess his word, Lord Jesus, I thank you today and I declare by your stripes I was healed for it is written, you sent your word and healed me. That he is this faithful high priest that will watch over his word to perform it in our lives. So not only was he the sacrifice, but he's also the high priest. 
that oversees the sacrifice. Now we have a covenant with God. It's unbreakable because Jesus is the guarantor. Or the guarantor, I guess would be the legal term. Right? That means my covenant with God. Now remember, we enter a contract to benefit us. To protect us. Right? When we put a new HVAC system in here... I negotiated that it could not go over $250,000. Why did I do that? It's a contract. It was to protect our church. Right? But covenant's not like that. When I stood before God with my wife, back what? December 30th, 1989. We stood before God and we made a covenant. I made a covenant to her. She made a covenant to me. Literally, (coughs) now I didn't know all this back then, But everything about a covenant is to benefit her. Everything, I was marrying Jeanette for the benefit so that it would all benefit her. That was the focus. Her marriage, to me, that covenant was to benefit me, not herself. God made covenant with you and I totally for our benefit. And then he said, okay, this covenant can't be broken, so now Jesus is going to be the guarantor, and Jesus never will fail. So when you fail, when you choose wrong, enemy jumps on you with guilt, shame, and condemnation, and he says, shame on you, you dirty dog. And you could literally look at him and go, no, nope, you're wrong, you're a liar, shame's not on me. Shame, my shame was put on him. And he paid for it, and he broke the power of this thing that I've just chosen But there's no shame, there's no guilt, there's no condemnation. So now I just come back to my father and say, Father, I confess that. That was wrong. I chose wrong. And I declare that the power of sin has been broken over my life. And I declare that I'm free from sin. And I thank you for forgiving me and for cleansing me. And then you keep going. Relationships never broken. Fellowship is now restored. I love this. Verse 13 of the same chapter says this. Hereby we know that we dwell in him. How do we know we dwell in him? There's a way that we're to know if we dwell in him. Because he hath given us of his spirit. The word, the term in Christ that we use in the the church, what that means is his spirit lives on the inside of me. Coming to church does not make you a Christian. Anymore, you've heard me say this, than sitting in your garage today will make you an automobile. You can't join the church. You have to be born into it. Jesus told Nicodemus, listen, you must be born again. Nicodemus is like, what? You know, how can I go back into my mother's womb? If that was the case, I'd be in trouble because my mom's not here. Even if she was, she'd be like, oh, no. (laughs) Right? And then Jesus is like, no, 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 no. You don't get it. you got to be born. you got to be born of water and of the Spirit. Of water, that was a term used in Jesus' day of natural birth. But you also got to be born of the Spirit. Well, what does that mean? That means that I come to Christ and I confess with my mouth 
as I believe in my heart. Lord, I believe God raised you from the dead. I believe you're alive today. I believe you died for my sin. And now I confess with my mouth, I am no longer my Lord. You are Lord of all. And today I invite you, I bow my life to your Lordship to be my Lord. And when a person does that, the Holy Spirit of God literally comes into the inside of them takes out this spirit man that is dead and separated from God, and it's gone forever. Old things pass away completely. And then he puts a brand new spirit on the inside of us. We call that being born again. Then the Holy Spirit takes up eternal residency in our spirit man. If you're a child of God today, the very Holy Spirit of God is in you right now, and he will be in there forever. Isn't that amazing? And then he sheds the love of God abroad in your heart so that now you can love like God loves unconditionally. And that's what it means to be in Christ. Hereby we know that we're in him. Why? Because his spirit lives in us. It says here in verse 14, and we have seen and do testify that the father sent the son to be the savior of the world. Verse 15 Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. Now Paul's letter in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, in verse 12, gives us a bigger picture of what this means. That God dwells in him, and he dwells now in God. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, it says... Now we have not received, or we have received not the spirit of the world, but we have received the spirit which is of God. Why? Why did the Holy Spirit come take residency in my heart? It says it right here, that we might know the things that are freely given to us by God. God wants you to know the reason why the Holy Spirit's there is to lead you and to guide you into the quality of life that God has, to show you all the things that he's freely given to you. If you feel that you're bound by an addiction, he lets you know that he's already freed you from addiction. And that thing that seems so real in your mind has no power over you that you've actually been made free, and now the Holy Spirit, if you'll allow him, he'll walk you into that freedom. Yeah, but pastor, I've just tried, and that it just doesn't work. It's because you don't believe it. So what do you do? You draw on the Holy Spirit's help. We have a lot of people trying to live for God. Give yourself a break. Stop trying to live for God. Let God live through you. The Holy Spirit, he leads you, he guides you into everything that God has given you. So now jumping back to 1 John chapter 4, now we're at, well, let's jump to verse 16. It says this, and we have known and believed the love that God has to us. You could translate that to us or you could translate that in us in the Greek. God is love and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. 
God wants your permanent residency to be a dwelling place where you are walking in a constant revelation of how much he loves you. You know, when you feel like you're doing a great job, you need that. When you feel like you've really fallen short, you need that more, right? Man, don't let the enemy beat you up anymore. Don't let what you think about God define your life. Find out what the word of God says about him. Religion will say, well, sometimes God is good. Sometimes he just allows things in your life to teach you. You know, sometimes, have you ever heard this one? You know, sometimes he says yes, and sometimes he says no. And then sometimes he just says, well, wait. And if you'll notice, when that is preached from pulpits, there is never a scripture given And the reason why is for something, this is real deep, I'll take you to theology school. For something to be be scriptural, here it is, you have to have actual scripture. Isn't that deep, right? Well, there's no scriptures. There is one that says all the promises of God are in Christ, yes, and in case you don't get it, And it's also in Christ, amen, which means so be it unto me. In other words, God's saying every promise in my word, yes, the answer is yes, and it's for you. Right? That's who God is. It says here, herein is our love made perfect. Herein. Herein where? When we know and believe the love that God has for us, the love that God has in us, that he, lo- that he dwells in us, love dwells in us, we dwell in him. Now herein is our love. In that place, when you're walking in a revelation of how much God loves you, that's where your love is made perfect. That means it's brought to, com- brought to maturity. And we need that Because it comes to maturity so that we may have boldness. So that we could have confidence in the day of judgment. This word judgment means crisis. What is the day of crisis? Well, today it's April 17th. Here I'll prophesy. Tomorrow it'll be April 18th. Isn't that deep? (laughs) Right? In other words, as you walk through life and you find... When you have a crisis come into your life, you don't shrink back. You have boldness. Why? Because my love is made perfect because I walk in a revelation that God loves me. He's for me. He has already given me victory and triumph in what I'm now seeing for the first time. So I don't shrink back. I have confidence. Herein is my love made perfect. God wants you to have confidence boldness, not shrink back. Know that no matter what the natural circumstances say, if you have God's word on on it, you already know all these natural circumstances must bow. All the facts of circumstances must bow to the truth of God's word. God's word is forever settled in heaven. It's not subject to change. 
If you're not walking in it, if you don't understand it, it still doesn't change. If you don't believe it, it still doesn't change. It's kind of like gravity. Climb up on a building and jump off. I don't care if you don't believe in gravity. We'll have to come to your funeral, right? It doesn't matter. It's a law. God's word is true. And I'm telling you, the church is going to shout that from the mountaintops. And the light of the goodness of God is going to shine brighter and brighter. It's going to completely eclipse religion, man's ideas, because the goodness of God leads people to change their mind, to change their will, to change their direction. And it says this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. Oh my gosh, that'll tilt you. What? Absolutely. The Bible says that Jesus Christ has given us authority in his name. That we are to have absolute mastery over the satanic hierarchy, over all the ability of Satan, and nothing shall by any means hurt us. That's his will for our life. Yeah, but you don't understand. I'm facing this, and oh yeah, there's an enemy. John 10.10, 10, Jesus said, listen, the thief is coming to steal and to kill and to destroy, but guys, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. Yeah, but he's stolen from me before with sickness or disease or with different things or this happened to me. I'm telling you, he will fix it. He'll restore. If there's one thing that it says over and over and over in the Bible, it says, behold, I make all things new. Well, if you have disease in your body, you need to realize that he'll make it new. He'll make all those cells new. He'll make that joint new. He'll, take, he'll make your marriage new. He'll restore your life. That's who he is. I love that. And then in verse 18, it says this. There is no fear in love. No fear. But perfect love, it casts out. It throws out fear. Because fear has torment. He that fears is not made perfect in love. And then it culminates by the truth. In verse 19 it says, we love him only because he first loved us. Hallelujah. See, the reality of it is, the resurrection that we're celebrating today, it literally completed God's plan to be able to dwell with man. To dwell in man. Romans 3 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6 says, it goes on to say, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, his son. Or through Jesus Christ, let me quote that correctly, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says this, but God commended his love this word, this word commended means he exhibited and he demonstrated his love, his own love towards us, in that while we were still sinners, he came and Christ died for us. Verse 12, if you skip down a few verses, wherefore as by one man 
sin entered into the world. We know that to be Adam. When Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden, it opened the door and sin came into the world. And so death, or death came into the world, and then it brought sin. And so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. We needed a Savior. The whole law was given in the Old Testament, not so that they would live perfectly, but to show them that they couldn't in their own strength. And everything was pointing, we, it's all pointing them, you need a Messiah, you need a Savior. Well, now we have him. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, it says, Therefore, just as through one man's sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. If you jump down to verse 19, it says, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, Jesus many will be made righteous. As a Christian, you might feel, well, okay, I'm saved, but I'm just kind of a mess. But no, God didn't, he didn't renovate you. He didn't do some things to improve you. He literally made you righteous. In order to do that, you had to be made new. So as you're sitting here today, you might not feel righteous. Your life might not even look righteous, but oh, if we could see your spirit, all we would see is the righteousness of Almighty God in Christ. And that's why as a Christian, what do I do? I have to take the word of God and I have to renovate my thinking because my soul is the control center. It's how my spirit operates. And I live in this body which still has this sin nature in it. It still is trying to pull me to do things contrary to the word of God. But as I renew my mind with the word of God, as I walk with the Lord, it changes my behavior. I start to look like him. It says in Matthew 20, 28, it says, look at this, this is why Jesus came. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served. Right? If you look at, in, in the Old Testament, man, these these Jewish rabbis or the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, the scribes, when they would walk down the street, I mean, literally, literally, they would just, they're walking. Go to Israel today. You will get out of the way of an Orthodox Jew rabbi because that little guy will run you over, right? And not feel guilty about it. I mean, people would get out of their way and bow their head when they would walk by. And then here he is, Jesus the King of kings and Lord of lords. What does he come? He comes not to be served. Look at this. It says he came to serve. But then it says he came to give his life as a ransom for many. A ransom. It's the Greek word that means atonement. What is that? It literally means to release from slavery, to release from captivity because a payment was made. Jesus came and made a payment for you so that you can walk free from the slavery of spiritual death and all that that encompasses in your life. Addictions, sickness and disease, lack, 
right? Turmoil, anxiety. He came to pay a ransom so that you could walk free from it. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, it says, towards the end of that verse, it says, For this purpose, the Son of Man was manifested. He was shown forth. He was taken out of the shadows of the invisible, and he was shown forth. Why? Look at this. That he might destroy the works of the devil. It says in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13 that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. How did he do that? By being made a curse for us, for it's written, cursed is everyone that hangs on the tree. So this new birth that we talk about, it's, it's a birth, it's a rebirth of the human spirit. You are a spirit. You possess a soul, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions, and you live in a physical body. You're not a body, you live in one. You can't legally be on the planet without a physical body. Everybody without a physical body, you know, everybody who's ever lived, God, God made man eternal, you're an eternal spirit. You will live forever. Amen. That's why when you get older, I walk by a mirror and I look and I'm like, whoa, wait, time out, that, that's not who I am. That's why, you know, to us, we're eternal. Every human who's ever lived is still alive. If they don't have a body, though, if they know and have received Christ, they are off the planet in heaven right now. If they did not receive Christ, if they lived their own life and rejected that, they are still, they are still alive. They are in the planet. When Jesus died, hell, which is in this planet... It had two parts. There was Abraham's bosom. It was called paradise. It was where all the people in the Old Testament, all the righteous people who could not receive Christ because he hadn't come yet, were there. Then there was this gulf, and then there's this other place called Sheol. It was, it was hell. It was, it was where people, the unrighteous dead, were incarcerated. Jesus, he told the man the thief on the cross, he said, listen, because the, the thief goes, listen, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And, and he said this, he said, this day you will be with me in paradise. He didn't say I'll be with you because, why? Because Jesus died first. He went to paradise first. He says, today you're going to be with me. And Jesus went down there. We know he was in the earth for three days and three nights. Right? He rose on the morning of the first day of the week, which would actually be a Sunday. So he's down there. During this three-day period, it says that he crossed over this gulf and he preached the righteous judgments of God to the disembodied spirits of Noah's day. Why? Have no idea. One pope made purgatory out of that one to make money for the church. There is no purgatory. You can't pray somebody out of that place. Right? So, so we know that, but what happened when he rose, he came out of that grave and all those Old Testament saints came out with him and then when he took his blood into heaven to put it on the mercy seat in heaven to not cover sin, but to wipe it out and eradicate it, that's where they are. Now, when a Christian passes from this earth, my mom literally passed from this earth, this May it'll be three years. Listen, she's not gone. Yeah. 
She's more alive than the last time I saw her. She's with God. She's in heaven. If I want to know what she looks like, she doesn't look like she looked on the earth as a 70-some-year-old lady. I have, to, I have to get a picture of her. Actually, I don't even need a picture of her. All I've got to do is look back at my daughter and go, yep, because my daughter looks so much like my mom. See, this life, life never ends. Good people don't go to heaven. Bad people don't go to hell. It's all about being born again. You must be born again, right? So the real man is a spirit. The spirit operates through the soul. The soul operates through the physical body. See, man, listen, man is not lost because of what he does. Man is lost because of who he is. Jesus had to come and die so that we could live. So I can't take any credit for life. Because I was lost. But God loved me so much and he demonstrated his love for me that he sent his son to die in my place. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, it says this, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things are become new. New on the inside. I'm still working on my outside. Right? I'm still working on my outside. But I don't have to do that alone. The Spirit of God helps me. And God's mercy is greater than my disobedience. And His goodness causes me to repent the whole word, even for spiritual maturity in the Bible, is adjust and repair. Adjust and repair. You start moving in the wrong direction and the word just pulls you back. It's wonderful. It's a wonderful way to live. But if you go down to verse 21, it says, For he, talking about God the Father, made him, Jesus Christ, to be sin for us, who knew, who knew no sin, that we might be made, not clothed, made the very righteousness of Almighty God in Him. So then in Ephesians chapter 2, in verse 4, it says this. And I'll tell you, now I know why God wanted me to talk this way. This would be a great message for anybody you know who doesn't know Christ. Because what we're talking about is what has happened to us. What this day really means. Right? It's not about an Easter bunny in a helicopter dropping eggs. It's not about candy. Right? All you parents today, man, your kids are going to get candy. All this stuff. I'm amazed at how, I mean, I'm amazed at how calm you guys all are with all the sugar that you have been intaking out there. Maybe, maybe you're waiting till, till we're done, right? But you know your kids. You're going to get mad at him this afternoon. Gosh, calm down. I can't. I've got so much sugar going through my veins. And then they just, bam. And then when they fall at that sugar high comes down, then you're like, peace. Right? But that's not what Easter's about. That's not the life of God. That's just sugar. 
right? Look at this, Ephesians 2.4. But God who is rich in mercy. This word rich means an inexhaustible supply of mercy. Now I can tell you by personal experience that it has to be a lot of mercy because I didn't exhaust it. I remember growing up, my mom would look at me and goes, what, what's wrong with you? Your dad told you 20 times not to do this, and if you did, this would happen. And here we are. Right? I'm like, I don't know. I'd go up in my room and I'd pray, Lord, let it be my stepdad that gives me a spanking, not my mom. Because, man, my mom would light me up. Right? It's probably why I'm preaching today. Lord, come on. I'll serve you with my whole life. As long, just let them give me mercy, right? Well, God has an inexhaustible supply of mercy. How many times have you messed up? Doesn't matter. You can't, you, you can't exhaust his mercy. I remember when the Lord told me, he said, Tony, I was beating myself up for a bunch of stuff, and, he, and I was reading some of this stuff, and, and God told me, he said, Tony, my mercy is so much greater than your disobedience. It can't be compared. He has an inexhaustible supply of mercy. For his great love wherewith he loved us. See, God has intervened in the lives of humanity. He has intervened. He stepped out of eternity. He stepped into this earth and he intervened. And now there is an answer to every problem in Christ. Every answer to every problem is in him. But God, the beginning of this verse... But God is greater than any bad report you can ever get. This verse reveals God's motive for providing salvation for us. He was motivated by love. Accepting Christ is accepting his love. And I've got to tell you, there's a lot of people that don't know him, have never been born again, that need to just accept his love. But I've also got to tell you, there's a lot of Christians who are born again, but they're not in the word. And, and, and they need to accept his love. You need to accept the fact that God is merciful and he loves you. Child of God, if you're watching online, man, don't let yourself live in this state of inner turmoil anymore. God's here to restore your life. He's here every, every day, every moment of every day because of what Jesus did. You have an opportunity to change direction and allow God to change your whole life. Ephesians 2, verse 5, it goes on to say, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. Wow. In other words, I am alive in Christ. By grace, you are saved. Look at verse 6. And hath raised us up together and made us sit. This is amazing. Study, study history. Study the time of Paul. Listen, the time of Jesus. When a person would walk in the presence of a king, a king would sit on his throne. Nobody else is sitting. God didn't make you, I mean, 
If God made me to stand in his presence, that, that's great. That's enough for me. But no, it goes way beyond that. He made me to sit. Do you know royalty sits? But you know why we're royalty? Because you're not made a servant of God. You are made his very child. You're his child. Isn't that amazing? Wow. He made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Wow. In other words, you want to walk in the authority that we've been talking about? you got to know where you're seated. Living a victorious life is completely a dependency on Christ alone, not on us. We have to be completely dependent upon him to live a victorious life. If your life is not what you think it, the Bible pick, gives you a picture of, it's because you're trying to do too much. You need to let it go and give it to God so he can work some things out. Verse 7, he did all this so that in the ages to come, you know, right now, in, in, in a, when Jesus came out of the grave, a new age was birthed, the church age, the age of grace, and it will go. I mean, we're right at the end of it now. We're 1,990 years into this age. But the Bible says that in the ages to come, what's he going to do? What is God going to do for you and I? He's going to show us the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us through Christ. Verse 8, for by grace are you saved. In other words, it's going to take God ages to show you the real manifold grace of God that caused you to be saved and all that that means. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. I'm telling you, when I, when I started to see these things, because I was, I was Mr. Christian, walk, sin, repent, walk, sin, repent, right? Because I was trying to live for him in my own strength. But then I realized, wow, everything is about him. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not of works. You can't work for it. Today, right where you are, right where you are, God loves you as much as he loves Jesus. The Bible says that. Yeah, but you don't know what I've done. You don't know the secret thing going on in my life that's been eating my life that I hate. I don't have to. God knows, and he loves you. And that perfect love will cast out that fear. It goes on to say, for we, verse 10, are his workmanship. We are his poema, is the Greek word. Wow, we get our, we, we get our a, a word in English, poem, from this word. We're his work, work, uh, workmanship. Wow. Do you know what that really means? That you are literally God's work of art. You're God's masterpiece. Boy, start saying that. Go in the mirror, look at yourself, and go, I am God's masterpiece. Your, your faith, or your, I'm sorry, your flesh and your unrenewed mind will go, Ugh. but just keep saying it. 
Because it's God's word. Because he said it. And all of a sudden, you will begin to start seeing yourself as you really are, not as you seem. And pretty soon, you'll get real bold. I am God's workmanship. I am God's masterpiece. Why? Because I've been created in Christ. Right? It's no longer I that's living. It's Christ that's living in me. This life that I'm now living in the flesh, I live it solely by the faith of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. I'm not trying to be successful. He already made me successful. And now the Holy Spirit will walk me into all of that. Good works can never produce a new nature. It's the new nature that we've been given that produces the good works. Colossians says it so well. It says in Colossians 1.13, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us, transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son in whom we have redemption, even the forgiveness of sins. 1 Peter 1.18 says this, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, silver, gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition of your fathers. But you and I were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. You must be somebody. Look at the price that was paid. Look how much God paid to get you and I out of trouble. If God has the power to make me a new creation in Christ Jesus, then he could pay my rent. He could pay my mortgage. He could help me walk free from alcohol. He could help me walk free from sexual addiction. He could, he could heal my body. The greatest miracle that's ever happened in a Christian's life happened 1,990 years ago on this day. Hallelujah. If he was able to deliver me and you from spiritual death, he could deliver you from anything that the enemy could ever throw at you. If God didn't, think about this, if God didn't need your help to redeem you, God doesn't need your help, does he? He doesn't need our help to help him work out his will for our lives. No, 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 he provided it all. John 17, 3 says this, this is life eternal. And what is it? It's knowing that you might know the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you, who, who he has sent to us. See, God through salvation, as we close now, God through salvation, he changes us on the inside for the purpose of putting his word in us why? So that we can know him. It is a natural thing to know God once you put his word on the inside of you. Many Christians are, are not living like they know God because they're not putting God's word on the inside of them. And some think, well, I could quote the verse. That doesn't mean you, it's on the inside of you. God writes his law in our heart as you walk with him. When God speaks or when he reveals things to your heart, you come to know something about him 
And this is what holds you steady. If you're not steady in your life and you're a Christian, it's because you just stopped putting his word in your heart. Yeah, but no, no, I'm, I'm reading it. No, just meditate in it. There's something wrong. There's a disconnect. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you that's why he's in you. Because when you get to know something about him, it holds you steady. And this is the walk of faith. God reveals himself to your heart. You learn something about him, and then it enables you to walk in life. That's how it works. Every time you step out on his word, he will show you something about him. Wow. Everything about a relationship with God is about him showing you who he is. I love this. Hallelujah. So I'm going to close with this scripture. In Psalm 34, verse 8, it says this, O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in him. Verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. Verse 17, the righteous cry and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all of their trouble. Are you in trouble today? Verse 19, many are the afflictions. This means literally, this word affliction literally means adversities. Many are the afflictions or the adversities of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. God loves you today. 